What have we been talking about? Well, we have been in the book of Matthew, and we're just going through nice and slow and methodically through the whole thing, and we are in Matthew chapter 9. If you are joining us for the very first time, don't worry about that. Um, that's absolutely fine. You will catch on uh, right where we are. Okay, sorry, lost my train of thought there for a second. <laughs> okay, well, where are we? Okay, we are in Matthew chapter 9, and we're in verses 18 through 34. And we're going to be looking at some healings that Jesus performed. So his healing ministry, the healing ministry of Jesus. And um, we're going we're gonna to read that because uh, it's super interesting reading. We're in Matthew chapter 9, and we are in verse 18. Let's go to verse 18. All right, in my Bible, it's entitled, this little section, A Girl Restored to Life and a Woman Healed. Okay. While he spoke these things to them, remember last week we talked about the wineskins and how he doesn't fill um, old wineskins with new wine. So he finished that conversation, and now we're going to go into a healing here. While he spoke these things that I just mentioned, Poppy, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, we'll talk about them in a minute, he said to them, Make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all that land. Now, the next healing is two blind men healed. Let's read that. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all of the country. Last healing that we're going to talk about right now. A mute man speaks. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man, mute, that means he couldn't speak, and demon-possessed. So he wasn't just mute, he was demon-possessed as well. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees, the religious people, said, He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Okay, 
let's talk about what's going on here. If you're just catching on, we're in Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 34, and we're talking about the healing ministry of Jesus. Some of the healings that Matthew um, talks about in the book of Matthew. Okay, so the first one was um, a Jewish leader comes and kneels before Jesus. Some of your Bibles will say worships Jesus, but he comes and he's in quite a state. Um, and he kneels before Jesus and he, and he asks that his daughter, who's just died, okay, be raised from the dead. Let's talk about what's happening here. Okay, so A, he comes and he kneels before Jesus in humility. I mean, it takes, he is a religious leader. He's a Jewish leader. And he's coming to Jesus, who's not very well received by the Jewish leaders at all. And he falls at Jesus' feet. Some say it, that he worships him. It worships Jesus. And Jesus receives that worship. He doesn't say, no, no, get up, get up, don't worship me. And, you know, there are other instances in both the Old and the New Testaments that show that when it's just an angel, and the angel, an angel comes to a human being, they are overwhelming, apparently, according to Scripture. I've never seen an angel, but according to Scripture, they're overwhelming and quite frightening to see. And um, the angel will refuse the worship, but Jesus receives the worship. And um, he receives the worship, why? Because he is God, okay? If he wasn't God, that would have been a sin. And we know Jesus was sinless. So he is God. He receives that worship. Okay, the second thing we notice here is the Jewish leader who falls at Jesus' feet and worships him and asks this request to raise his daughter from the dead. He has faith that Jesus can raise his dead daughter. She's not sick. She's dead, okay? This is great faith uh, to believe that, that someone, he's done miracles, but that he can raise someone who there is no life left in them. That takes faith. Um, and he believed that Jesus could raise her with his touch. He says, come, lay your hands on her, and she will be, and she'll raise up. She'll, she'll be healed. Uh, now, that reminds us of... Remember the story of the centurion soldier, the Roman centurion soldier, which we talked about in Matthew chapter 8. He believed that Jesus could heal his servant, but by his word alone. Jesus said, okay, I'll come to your house. And, and he said, no, no, you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word, and I know that he'll be healed. So that was a different kind of faith, a different approach to faith, one that Jesus marveled at. And said that was the greatest faith that he'd seen in Israel. That this man understood the authority that Jesus had in the spiritual realm. That it only took a word. Didn't take a touch. Now, it's not to belittle the Jewish leader's faith. Hey, he had faith, okay? And faith is all you need. I'm just pointing out that Jesus did marvel at the fact that the centurion was happy to just have the word spoken. And the Jewish leader... Um, you know, his daughter was dead. I have to say it, it was quite a, you know, it was pretty severe. Um, he said, just come and lay hands on, on my daughter and she shall be raised. Okay, it's just pointing out a little bit of a difference in the faith, the kind of faith. Both faith, but different 
expectations uh, that the person with the faith has come with. One says, just the word's enough. One says, come lay the hands on. Okay, while he is receiving this um, worship from this Jewish leader and the request to raise his daughter, there's an interruption right in the middle of it all. The woman with the issue of blood. We all know the story of the woman with the issue of blood. There's songs written about this woman. Okay, so Jesus and his disciples are getting up at the request of this Jewish leader. They're just about to make their way to this Jewish leader's house to heal the dead girl, the dead daughter. When this woman with this issue of blood, she had a, a bleeding problem. Um, I don't know what that is. Uh, why she had this bleeding problem or, or the nature of it. I just know she'd been bleeding for many, many, many years. And she comes up behind Jesus, not wanting to be noticed at all. And she touches the hem of his garment. So she must have had to sneak in and get low because she had to get to the hem, the bottom of the garment, okay? Now, why did she do this? Why would she go out of her way to do something that seems unusual. And I'll tell you why. In verse 21, it tells us what she was thinking. For she said to herself, if I, if I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. So she had this thought in her head that all I need to do is touch the hem of his garment. I'll do it. I'll try not to get noticed. I don't want anyone to know what's going on in my body or in anything. And you know, this is not a well-received illness in the Jewish, uh, you know, by Jewish people. I was just going to touch the hem of his garment. Nobody will know, and I'll get healed. You know, she was acting a bit on superstition, as if the garment held some kind of power because it was on this miracle man. Because there, there is no precedent anywhere that touching Jesus' clothes would bring her healing. There's nowhere else in Scripture anywhere that says if you touch the clothing of a holy man or a healer or of Jesus, that you're going to be healed. She somehow got this in her head. There's no precedent for it. Now, her faith had flaws in this way, in the fact that it was a bit like a superstition thing, and there really was no precedent for it. But Jesus still heals her because ultimately, ultimately, her faith was in him. Her faith was in the fact that if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. You know, also bear in mind, she wanted to sneak a touch. Just nobody didn't know because she didn't want to draw attention to herself because her condition was of a personal nature. I get it, okay? She had a bleeding issue, okay? That was embarrassing to bring to public light, but not only was it embarrassing, by the law of Moses... It was something that caused you to be unclean and nobody should touch a woman who has an issue of blood, they call that, a bleeding issue. And so if she touched anyone else, they would become unclean as well. So she was like, nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to touch her and she, didn't, she was really not allowed to touch anybody else. That's why she wanted to keep this on the down low, okay? But she doesn't. She touches... The hem of his garment. Some believe he had on a prayer shawl, uh, which was common for rabbis to be wearing in those days, religious men of the Jewish faith to be wearing. And it had tassels on it. And some believe that she wanted to reach out and touch these tassels. 
Now, I don't know if that was the case. It was the hem of the garment, whether it was tassels or not. I don't know. She said, I got to touch the, the hem on this man. Okay, so she does it. And immediately Jesus knew something had happened, even though she probably just touched him light. I mean, it doesn't say that she grabbed him. It says she touched him. And he turns around and he sees her. And he says to her, now she's thinking, oh, I've done a bad thing. I've touched a Jewish man. I've touched someone and, and I, I'm unclean and, and I've done this bad thing. And he turns around to her and beautiful, beautiful Jesus. He says, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. She does not get reprimanded. He doesn't talk to her in a stern voice like you really should not have done that. Look what you've done. No, 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 no. He addresses her as daughter. And you know, that is a very special and a very honoring way to speak to her. And nowhere else in scripture does Jesus address any other woman in this way. So it was a very special greeting or a, a address to this woman that she probably held in her heart for the rest of her life, probably for eternity. She's probably in heaven now telling people, he called me daughter. <laughs> okay, so she wanted this healing on the down low, quiet. But he says it out loud. He declares that, hey, daughter, be of good cheer for your faith has made you well. He points out to her out loud so she can hear it, that it was her faith that made her well. And it's important that she knew that it was her faith that made her well, especially if she carried any kind of superstition in her that it was about touching the clothes or the tassels on the hemline of this, this garment. Jesus wanted her to know that it was her faith that brought the healing. Yes, it was the faith. Okay. Here's the quote from the Blue Letter Bible Commentary on this very account. Now, I just liked this so much that I thought I would read this quote out to you. Her faith was in Jesus, and the object of faith is much more important than the quality or even the quantity of the faith. See, even though she got a little wrong, and she believed that it was something about the clothing and if I touch with the clothing, if there's something in the clothing on this holy man, even though she had it a little askew and not 100% right, ultimately her faith was in Jesus. And Jesus was like, that's good enough for me. You know, we see the grace that Jesus has toward us. We don't have to get everything perfect. It's not about us. It's, it's not even about, you know, in the end, it's about trusting him like a little child. And little children don't always get it right. This woman may not have got it perfect, but Jesus said, you know what? That's okay. I'm going to heal you anyway, because you believe ultimately in me. You have trust and faith in me. Okay. So, and, and remember, according to Jesus, it only takes a little bit of faith to produce big results. And that's backed up by the Bible. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus says this, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible to you. And he tells you faith as small as a mustard seed. Did you ever see a mustard seed? A mustard seed is the size of 
Well, it's like any little tiny seed. It's like a poppy seed or a sesame seed. It's like if you took a pen and put one little dot on your hand and looked at that dot, that's about as big as what a mustard seed is. And Jesus says, that's all you need to move a mountain. That's all. That's all it takes is that much faith. Isn't that a grace that we don't have to worry and, and, and strain about how big our faith is? But actually, it doesn't take more than a mustard seed of faith to move a mountain and get big results from God. Okay. Okay. Why would he tell her when he turned around to her, be of good cheer? The reason being is, again, I said, she was a woman that was unclean. She shouldn't touch anyone. And that's, that's a sad thing. In life, she was not really permitted to touch anyone. She'd been sick. I believe it was, sometimes I get the numbers wrong, but I believe 12 years for 12 years, she was not legally under the law of Moses allowed to have human contact. And now he's saying, he's saying, my daughter, it's okay now. You can have human contact. You can get embraced and hugged and you can hug people and you can hold the hand of your friend. It's okay. Be of good cheer. You're allowed to be happy. You're healed. He's letting her know that it's okay. He's not angry. She had faith. And that that faith made her well. Okay. Now remember, this was an interruption. We're still in the middle of this other guy, the Jewish leader's story. And his daughter being raised from the dead. We didn't even get there yet. That's amazing. But just think about it. This miracle just happened in front of that Jewish leader. How this miracle must have heightened his faith. And he was like, wow, look at that. He just healed this woman of 12 years of bleeding and, and, a, and a life of not being able to touch people and not being allowed, <clears throat> being ostracized. And she's healed and free. I can't wait till he touches the, the dead corpse of my daughter because he's going to raise her. The hope he must have had, the faith that must have risen inside him. Oh, it must have been amazing. And I believe that possibly, possibly, this miracle was done in front of that Jewish leader for this Jewish leader's faith to be raised so that he could have great expectation in what Jesus was going to do. Okay, verse 23. Jesus comes to the ruler's house, and inside the house are flute players and people mourning and wailing and making noise. Did you know this is a historical fact? That families, even the poorest of families, they would pay professional mourners to come to the home and play music like these flute players and cry and wail and be sad. They would be paid. It could have been people they didn't even know. People that were not genuinely sad. They were just being paid to be sad. Look sad. And Jesus asks them, he says, he walks in and he says, make room because the girl's not dead. She's only asleep. And immediately it says that they began to ridicule him. Some versions say and laugh at him. Okay, so these people who are mourning and weeping, all of a sudden now they're laughing and ridiculing. You know, that is to show you, Matthew is pointing out that these people are superficial. They're not genuine in their grief. And it's their job to just pretend to be sad. And you know what? Jesus is sick of it, okay? And you know, I love this. Jesus is so secure in who he is as, as, and, and what God's will is for him to do that this ridicule of the crowd, it doesn't move him. 
He isn't going to back off of doing what he knows that God has showed him to do. Because remember, Jesus said, I only do what my Father shows me to do. So obviously, God had shown Jesus what his will was and said, go to this house, do it. Pray for this child to be raised. I am with you. Jesus knew the will of God. And all of this accusation that this Jesus, you're being foolish, um, you know, all this superficial people in the room making noise with no passion or true feeling behind it. Jesus isn't moved by that. He has no fear of man. Isn't that amazing? And we consistently see this in Jesus in the Gospels. Consistently. You know, this is something I learned from this. As Christians, we always want to become more like Christ. And, and sometimes I think what we believe, oh, I want to be more loving like Christ. Yes. I want to be more kind. Yes. I want to be more in touch with my Father in heaven. Yes. But also in this way that uh, as like Jesus, we can lose the fear of man. When we know who we are in God and what God has called us to do, we too can lose, like Jesus, Jesus never had to lose it. I don't think he ever had fear of man. But we can lose that fear of man. And when people are ridiculing us, people at work making fun of us, or um, at school just laughing at us because, you know, just for simple things, even just living out, you know, the life God called us to do. You know, often, I still get it, but it happens. It's a very little thing. But when people notice that you don't do certain things, like, you know what? I've really, I, I, I don't want to swear and use swearing words and, and, and things like that. That's just something I'm persuaded. I don't want all this filthy talk coming out of my mouth. And when I'm with people who are not Christians, they often notice that. And they um, will make fun of me, call me goody two shoes. And, you know, ooh, they're like, ooh, sorry if they say something that's, you know, filthy or, or off color. And they... And they, they're like, sorry, I said that. Sorry if I offend you. And I mean, I, it's not bothering me. But the thing is, people will ridicule you for the smallest things, for the smallest things you do to, if, for your, in your Christian walk. Just saying. And you know what? You have the ability in God to, to have no fear of man. And that's something when you're praying and you're saying, I want to be more like Jesus, ask him. Say, God, I want to have that... I want that fear of man in my life to just go. I want to be fearless in God. That's a good thing. Okay. So Jesus makes this whole crowd of insincere mocking people go out. He says, leave, go outside. <laughs> and he goes over to the girl. He takes her hand and the girl rises. And the news of that goes everywhere. So he heals a dead girl. She raises up. And that's where that story ends. And it says that the news of that went out everywhere. I bet it did. I bet it did. Okay, the next, the next healing is two blind men healed. Now Jesus leaves, this has been a busy day for Jesus and it's only going to get busier. Wait till you see. Okay, now two blind men, he's leaving this place where he's just raised a dead girl. Everyone's like astonished. They're like, wow, and they're spreading the news everywhere. And he's followed by two blind men. Okay. This is verses 27 through 31. Where are we? 27 through 30. Okay. All right. So these two guys, they're waiting outside for him of this house because he just walks out. 
And they see him, and they're following him, okay? They're, they're blind men. Remember, they're blind. They can't see. And they're doing their utmost and their best to follow Jesus. And they're crying out to him because obviously, you know, they're not exactly sure where he is because they can't see. And they um, are saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He Heal us. You know, have mercy on us, Lord. And they're crying out loud. Okay. Let's talk about these guys. They're blind, so they're doing their best to follow Jesus. They are making every effort to follow Jesus, to go hard after him, to find him no matter what. And that's got to be difficult when you're blind. But they will not be put off. There is such a persuasion in them that Jesus could, could um, help them. Okay, there's a relentlessness about them. And in that, just in that alone, we see faith. In this relentless pursuit of God, of Jesus, that they know, I just have to pursue him. I have to just get near him. And I just know that by me getting close to Jesus, by me getting his attention, that things will be made better for me. That's, that's ultimately, when, when you get down to brass tacks, that is what's happening here in this story. That they are persuaded that they must get to Jesus. There's a persuasion and there's a faith in that. Okay, so they're shouting for his attention. They're not ashamed in this big crowd to call out on Jesus. They don't seem to care about anybody around them. They're shouting. They're shouting, Son of David. So they're, they're acknowledging him as the Messiah. And what are they crying out for? Mercy. What is, what is it that they're actually crying out for when they cry out for mercy? Mercy is forgiving the sinner and withholding the punishment that is justly deserved. You know, they're coming to Jesus in humility, crying out for mercy. That's always a good approach. Humility is always a good approach when you're coming to God. Always. Pride is a bad approach. Humility is always a good approach. They know Jesus heals. And they don't come with an attitude that something is owed to them. I'm blind. I've had a hard life. You owe me this. You can do that. Then you owe me, you know. There's nothing of that about them. Even though they've suffered probably forever, you know, their whole lives. And they're crying out for mercy. They know they don't deserve this. For whatever reason... Possibly their blindness may have been in their society associated with punishment for either their own sin or the sin of their parents, which isn't the case. But it was a belief back then that sometimes people were born the way they were born with an illness or a sickness or some deformity um, because of sin in the parents. You know, what these guys recognized is that we're all sinners and we all need mercy. All of us. None of us is deserving of anything of the mercy of God. And yet he extends his mercy. Okay, so he brings these blind men into the house, asks them if they believe that, that he can do this thing for them. He says, do you believe that I can do this thing for them? And they say, yes, Lord. And they're healed. We see their faith is present. We saw it way back when they were screaming out for Jesus. But then they declared, yes, I believe. And they're healed. Okay, um, and verse 29, it, um, Jesus says to them, according to your faith, let it be to you. 
Now here's another quote from the Blue Letter Bible Commentary. I loved this quote because I found it very liberating. Um, I, let me read it to you and then you'll see why. And it's by a man, a professor of the New Testament, whose name is Carson. In many ways, God says the same to men and women today. According to your faith, let it be so to you. There is much to have by faith and much that is never received because it is never grasped by faith or with faith. According to your faith does not mean in proportion to your faith, meaning so much faith, so much sight, but rather since you believe your request is granted. You know what I love about that? It takes the pressure off of Oh, I just don't have enough faith. I've got, to build my, I've, got to, I've got to build my faith up first and then I can receive anything from God and then I can begin to pray and then I can begin to live for God and then when I have faith and then I can believe for God to help me and love me and blah, 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 blah. No. It's not down to our big, huge faith. Remember, Jesus said, it only takes faith of a mustard seed. I can't even make my finger small enough to be the size of a mustard seed, to move a mountain. Much faith is not the main factor in healing or any answered prayer. It's not much faith, okay? Because it says this, and this is a beautiful, another grace that I see in the Bible. More grace. There's so much, the, the New Testament is grace, grace, grace. It's just the grace of God. Romans 12, 3. It says that God, this is a paraphrase of Romans 12, 3, that God has allotted a measure of faith to each of us. Everyone's been given at least a mustard seed size of faith, at least. And so we all have faith to receive from God. All of us at any minute of any point in any day. You know, whether you've just read loads of the Bible or listened to a great sermon or just finished a great worship service, at any point, you have enough faith to receive from God and to move a mountain. Okay, um, we, we all have some faith and that should encourage us. Now, don't beat yourself up that your faith's not strong enough to receive from God. We are to receive like little children. And did you know when my children were little, I never saw them obsess over whether they believe that me and Andy could, could actually come through on the things we said they could have. I never saw them thinking, oh, well, I'm, you know, I just don't know if I, if I believe you enough, mom, for you to, to give me that dessert if I do, you know, if I eat my, my dinner. No, children don't obsess over whether they have enough belief and faith in their parents. They just say, okay. Okay, and that's what we need to do with God. Let's not obsess about the size of our faith as if it's down to us. Healing is God's business. He's given each of us a measure. So you all have at least a mustard seed side of faith, a size of faith. You know what? Just exercise that little bit of faith and just be like those, those um, blind men. When Jesus said, can you believe I can do this for you? And they said, yes, Lord, we believe. And he said, then let it be according to your faith. That, that um, theologian Carson said it's not... That, that, that He's not saying, well, you have this much faith and that's about just about as much faith. For eyesight. So yeah, you can have your eyesight. You got enough faith for that. He's saying, you have faith. That's enough. Besides, you got's enough. And according to that faith that you've got, it's done. Okay? Now, 
I'm saying we each been given a measure, not to stress about the size of that when you're believing for anything, but faith can grow and you should invest in growing your faith. I should invest in growing my faith. If, if all we need is a mustard seed, then why should we invest in growing our faith? I have enough. I don't need to grow my faith. Let me just tell you this. Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And Hebrews eleven six says this. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Okay? Strong faith in God as opposed to very small faith and, and faith that is much weaker. Because when it's the size of a mustard seed, it is a little bit weaker. Think of, of a mustard seed, okay? It talks about this in the Bible, that a mustard seed of faith is, is tiny, right? But when that mustard seed is planted, it becomes the most crazy, big, gigantic bush ever. It's the biggest plant in the garden. So when faith grows, it is so strong. It is so, oh, it encompasses your life. And when you have strong faith, there's so much you don't have to deal with in life. Think of the guys, the disciples who were in the boat, in the storm, and they were not using their mustard seed of faith. And they were saying, don't you care that we're going to perish, Jesus, in this storm? We're going to perish. We're going to die. Had they had strong faith that was built up, they wouldn't have had one moment of panic, one moment of fear, or one moment of anxiety. They would have got that through that with no fear and anxiety, they'd have been fine. And they would have trusted God and they would have got through to the other side. They never would have had to deal with all that. There's so much we don't have to deal with when our faith is strong. We are solid. We are grounded in God. And that pleases him. It says faith pleases him. So don't we want to grow what pleases God in our life? Faith pleases God. Without faith, you cannot please God. But when you have faith and you let it grow strong... Think how that pleases God. That's what we want to do. We want to please him. So grow your faith. Even though a mustard seed's enough, grow your faith because it pleases him. And that's what we want to do. Okay, I believe this is the last healing here. A mute man is healed. Okay, so now Jesus healed the two blind men. Now he's about ready to heal a mute man, a man who can't speak. And, and he's demon-possessed, okay? He's mute man, he's demon-possessed. Now, in the Jewish understanding of demon possession, this is just a historical fact here that I got out of the commentary. This man was impossible that anyone should be able to help him. No one could help this man because, according to the religious rabbis of the day, the thought was that to perform an exorcism, to get a demon out of somebody, you had to compel or trick that demon into telling you its name. Now, the name was then thought of as a handle by which the demon could be removed. Now, this poor man's mute. So if they said, what is your name, demon? He can't even speak. He, has, he couldn't say it if he wanted to. Okay? So this poor man could not be helped by religious standards. And everyone knew that standard. And they were like, oh, hopeless case. Poor man. This poor demon-possessed mute, he must remain that way forever. He was a hopeless case in the eyes of all the people watching. Ah, but to Jesus and to God, nothing is impossible with God. What is impossible for man, it says, is not impossible for God. Okay, so he, he um, 
uh, speaks to the demon. The demon goes and the man can then speak. He's healed. The mute man is healed. Jesus didn't have to do any of that silly rigmarole that the rabbis believed had to be done. And an impossible case was dealt with by Jesus and the man was fully healed. What does this show us? One, God can overcome the impossible. He's already raised the dead. But to the, these people, it was probably this mute man was more impossible than the dead girl. Okay, you just need to understand that in the Jewish culture at that time, the mute man who had a demon was worse off than the dead girl. Okay, number two. Oh, oh, also, he was Jesus showed that he had complete authority over the demonic realm. The rabbis couldn't get the name of the demon. Jesus didn't even need to know the name of the demon. He just said, go, get out of him. And the man was free. So he had complete authority over demonic realms. Okay, number two, the, the rabbis deemed this kind of healing impossible because they believed about the whole calling forth the demon's name. God showed, I mean, Jesus showed that God is above the best religious teachers of the day and he showed up their weak traditions. He was showing that religion was weak. Religion, that heartless, cold, religious attitude that looks at a man and says, eh, no hope for you and can walk on by. Say, nothing I can do. Nope, nope, nope. Not the heart of God. He is not religious in any way, Jesus. Jesus looks at a person and has compassion. Religion just says, well, the rules are this. Jesus says, no. I'm going to help this guy because I am full of compassion. So that's the difference there. So verse 34, this is where we're coming to an end here. The Pharisees just got shown up in public, and they're so filled with pride, the Pharisees, the religious folk, they're filled with pride, with hate, with arrogance, not very godly qualities, but this is what they're filled with. And they can't say enough bad stuff about Jesus at all. And in the presence of everyone, even after these amazing miracles, raising the dead, healing a mute, healing this woman who had uh, the issue of blood, um, did I, I don't even know if I named them all, uh, the in the presence of all these mighty miracles, they dare say, oh, he's doing this, he's, he's removing demons by the power of the demons. You know, he's one of them. You know, they can't even say one good thing about what happened, about people being set free. They can't say one thing. They say that Jesus is working by the power of Satan. You know what this shows us? Jesus and religion never did mix well and it still doesn't mix well today, Jesus and religion. Because remember, with Jesus and he, his whole earthly ministry was dealing with this. That um, he was trying, he was telling us that it's not about the rules and the structure of the law. But it's always been about relationship with God. From the heart, loving God, loving people, having compassion from the heart. It's never been about heartless tradition. And Jesus is showing that. And he's contending with this continually in his ministry. And uh, you know what that, you know what? It just makes me love Jesus even more. This whole account of his healings. And it just lets me see the grace of God, the goodness of God. That it's not down to our perfection. The bigness of our faith. Um, that we should always get it right. You know, Jesus was, it didn't take much for Jesus to say, that's enough. I'm healing you. You know, his grace, his mercy. And we see that so conflicting with the gracelessness and the mercilessness of religion.
And that is why Jesus is wonderful and we love him. And um, that's where I'm going to end it today. So, okay, uh, we'll see you the next time we get together. All right. I hope you enjoyed it today. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.